Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's We're finishing up Acts chapter 2 today. We've been here for a couple weeks. Acts chapter 2 is the foundational moment of the church. It's the start of the church. And what we see in this summary passage in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, we see what the church committed itself or devoted itself to. And so let's jump in here. I'll say a few words about this, and we'll turn our attention to the topic of the day, prayer. Let's look at this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, the first Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anybody who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I've said this each time we've looked at this passage over the last few weeks, but that second word, they devoted themselves, is really important. It means it was an ongoing commitment. They were going to persevere in these practices. And there was these four commitments or practices that they devoted themselves to. It was the apostles' teaching, or the Word of God, fellowship, being together, breaking bread, which is sharing together, and to prayer. And I've used this image over the last few weeks, maybe you remember it. If Acts chapter 2 is the foundational moment when the foundation of Jesus Christ is kind of finished, the, the concrete pouring is finishing right here in Acts chapter 2, at the end of Acts chapter 2, the frame starts to go up like an Amish barn raising. And the frame are the practices that the church devotes itself to. And what we see is that it's on this frame that the Lord adds to their number daily those who are being saved. And so it's the combination of the foundation of Jesus Christ and their devotion, these first Christians, to these essential practices that gives God confidence he can add to their number. That's what's happening here. Okay. So today let's talk about they devoted themselves to prayer. I was down at the St. Jude Marathon yesterday, not running. I was cheering on my wife and her friends who were running. She did so awesome. I'm so proud of her. And we were standing down there with our kids watching these people run by. And I'll tell you, uh, taking your kids, three small children by yourself down to a crowd of thousands is much harder than running a marathon. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but we survived. And uh, we saw all these people running by, okay? And um, I'll tell you, it was, so, it was so interesting to watch the faces of the people running by because some people were just like loving life, happy to be there, giving high fives, and some people are riding the struggle bus. And you can just see it on their faces, you know? They're just kind of trudging along like this, just really struggling. And then, we, so we saw them about mile eight and mile 10. And then we went to the end. And what was fascinating is some of those same people 
that you saw trudging by at miles eight and 10 in the last hundred yards are sprinting. You know, they got this energy all of a sudden to just run for the finish line. Why? Because they know it gets easy once they cross that line. Everything hard gets easy just like that as soon as they cross that line. Now, think about how closely that parallels life. I mean, how many times in life have you made some goal in your mind? I'm going to get here. I'm going to get past this at work or in family, whatever it is. I'm going to get there, and it's going to get easy after that. You know what I'm talking about? We did this. The fall was really busy in our family. Had a ton of things going here, at home, just a ton of stuff. And so I had made November 13th this finish line in my mind. If I get to November 13th, we're going to be just sailing easy into the holidays. Life is going to be great. November 13th was a full day here at church. I got here about 7 a.m. I didn't leave here till 9 p.m., just a long day. I finished November 13th. I'm high-fiving Lindsay that night as we're going to bed. November 14th, our son Deacon gets the flu. You know, life doesn't work like a race, does it? You know, you make these finish lines in your mind, you get to the finish line, and it turns out it's just as hard on the other side of the line. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you saw this, this kind of viral video went around of the Duke University women's basketball coach, Carol Lawson. Did you see this? She's talking to her players. She's trying to motivate them. And she says, we are always waiting for things to get easier, but the truth is it never does. It will never get easier. What happens is you handle hard better. What happens is you handle hard better. She says that's a mental shift that has to occur in your brains. And so if you're out there on the court and we see that it's getting easy for you, we're going to make it harder because that's how life works. Make yourself, she says, a person who handles hard well, not somebody who's waiting for easy. Oh, isn't that good? That's good. All right, now that really, I think, frames this passage here on their devotion to prayer. I really think that sets us up. If you're looking at your Bible and you're in Acts chapter 2, if you were to flip back one page to Acts chapter 1, you would see in verse 8, as Jesus is about to ascend on high after his death and resurrection, after he, as he's about to go on high, he gives his followers this instruction. He says, you will be my witnesses. He's given them a job. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's giving them this global mission to take the good news about Jesus to the very ends of the earth. I mean, this is an incomparable responsibility being given to humans. An incomparable responsibility. And immediately, if you read through Acts, just as soon as they're given this responsibility, they run into opposition. People who are trying to stop them, making it harder. You got incomparable responsibility facing immediately innumerable difficulties. How many of you have watched Spider-Man before? Um, down here, appreciate those guys. In our family, we watch it pretty much every day. And uh, in Spider-Man, he's told, with great power comes great responsibility. 
And in Acts chapter 1 and 2, the early church is given this great responsibility. They're also given great power in the Holy Spirit, but then they experience great opposition. I think, uh, you know, a more accurate phrase would be with great power and great responsibility comes a lot of problems. A lot of problems. It gets really hard. So it's in that context where they're given this hard mission and they're facing hard challenges that the early church devotes themselves to praying. Think about that. That word to pray or prayer shows up 121 times in the New Testament. Shows up 25 times in Acts, which is almost the same number as the number of chapters in Acts. And so pretty much any time you parachute into the life of the early church, just pick a spot, pick a page, parachute in. If you ask what was the early church doing, the answer almost always is they were praying. That's what they were doing. In Acts chapter 6, there's this story. It's the first kind of problem the church faces. And the problem is that they are, they are overlooking the widows. So they're not taking care of some of the widows well enough. It's an administrative error is what's happening. And so the church leaders are like, man, we got to solve this problem. And so they select some guys whose job is to take care of the widows. They don't stop what they're doing to go and take care of the widows. They pick some people to do that so that they can devote themselves to two things, the ministry of the word, preaching, and prayer. I mean, just think about that in, in your own life. Typically, like if something is not getting taken care of, you make some sacrifice to ensure that that thing is going to get taken care of. And in this case, we would expect these church leaders, if they're good guys, to stop praying, get out of your closet on your knees praying, and get out there and help these ladies. And what they do instead is they ensure those ladies are getting helped so that they can continue to pray. That, they believed, was the main job. And, and look with me here again at Acts 2.42. One thing that you won't necessarily see in the English version of your Bible, what it actually says is they devoted themselves to the prayers. There's an article in front of prayer, to the prayers, definite article there. What we probably think they're talking about were normal times in their day where they committed to praying because it was prayer time. Uh, look with me, if you just go a few verses down, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Why were they going to the temple? It's time to pray. There's this practice in the early church called the, the daily hours or the daily office. And the practice is that you pray at scheduled intervals throughout your day. So you don't pray when you feel like it. You pray at designated times, 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m., and 6 p.m., and the really holy people get up through the night and do the same thing. And that practice actually stretches back long before the early church to Psalms. If you read in the Psalm 119, he says, seven times a day I pray to the Lord. So just think about what you're hearing there. They didn't just devote themselves to praying when they felt like it. They devoted themselves to regular, constant prayer. So their prayer, hear me out, their prayer was not based on their desire. Their prayer was based on discipline. Do you see the difference of that? We're going to pray because it's time to pray. 
and they devoted themselves to that. You, if you're like me, you get up in the morning and you think about all the things you have to do that day. Have you been there? And immediately that to-do list, in fact, you're probably adding to it as you're drinking your coffee or getting breakfast or taking a shower. It's just getting longer as you're sitting there. So the legend is the great reformer Martin Luther would face the same problem. He would get up in the morning, his to-do list would be long. And what he said was that on the days his list was especially long, so the daunting days, the days there was more to do than he could ever hope to get done, he would take his normal hour of prayer time, and instead of shrinking it down to start on his to-do list, he would double the hour and do two hours in prayer instead of one on the hardest days. Believing that the more time he spent in prayer, the more effective God would make him in doing what he needed to do. Think about that. Paul tells this minister, Timothy, young minister, he's giving a young minister instructions. And he says, the first thing I want you to do, the first thing on your to-do list, the first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how for everybody you know. The first thing on your list is prayer. Why? Okay, let's just talk about one of the reasons we pray, and then I'm going to give you some just tips for helping you to pray. Because the reason we're working through this series is not just to remember what Christians a long time ago did, but because we're heading into the new year, and I hope that you'll make some decisions, some commitments to grow in some area of your life whether it's the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, or prayer, that you're going to make some decision in 2023 to grow in that. So why is it worth growing in prayer? Well, let's stick with that, that idea of handling hard better. All right, you're going to leave from here. All right now, everything's kind of easy. You're going to leave from here, you're going to walk out these doors, and life will be hard again. How are you going to handle that? Well, as you leave from here and you run into some hard thing in your life, you're basically thinking about your capacity, your ability to deal with that hard thing, and maybe to some degree also God's capacity to help you in dealing with that hard thing. And if we were to look at this like a graph, it would be something like a 50-50 split. Like there's what I can do, there's my capacity and potential, and there's what God can do. And normally, most of the time, because we're human, we're focused on our ability, okay? And perhaps we're faithful humans like you are. And so we're thinking about God's ability too, but we kind of conceive of it as a 50-50 split. When in reality, the graph looks much more like this. Let's go to the next one. Where my abilities or my capacity are a tiny sliver compared to God's infinite potential and power. I mean, the tiniest sliver, what I'm able to do in comparison in comparison to the infinite capacity and potential of God. So what happens when I pray, now think about this. You know, the self-improvement books you read, the whole self-improvement, secular self-improvement market is all about expanding your capacity to do more. So growing that little piece of the pie or simply recognizing what you can't control and giving that up. But the purpose of prayer is entirely different. The purpose of prayer is to relocate you outside of your tiny sliver of capacity in that infinite realm of God's glory and power. 
where he can do anything. Prayer moves you beyond your limited ability to what God can do. Think about this. Leave that up there for one more second on the screen, if you don't mind. Think about this in, in relation to your life and in relation to the church. If in my life, I'm only reliant on my capacity and ability, I am eventually going to hit the limits of what I'm able to do. You've been there before. You hit the limits, you can't do anymore, and you're sunk. Think about it as a church. When we come together as a church, what's basically happening, if you think about it, is we get a bunch of people with little capacities together and we add all that capacity up and that pie begins to grow. That's what basically, I mean, that's biblical. The body of Christ coming together, each one has their part, you bring your gifts. And so what's happening is the church is our capacity and power to affect a difference in the world is growing and increasing. Our slice of the pie grows. It's one of the great graces of the body of Christ. But here's the deal. Our slice, as much as it may grow as a church, still is a sliver compared to the infinite power of God. And you know this. But think about what a sorry church we would be even giving half a million dollars, even doing great things together, what a sorry church we could be if we only relied on our sliver of capacity and not God's infinite power. Francis Schaeffer, he said this, talked about all these dangers facing the church. He said, all these are dangerous, but they're not the primary threat. The real problem is this, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ individually and corporately tending to do the Lord's work and the power of the flesh rather than the power of the Spirit. Hmm. Think about that. And let that just convict our hearts. God, make us people of deep prayer so that we can reach beyond ourselves to your power. Please, God. So you look at that graph, let me just show you this. You look at that graph and you think to yourself, okay, maybe our part doesn't even matter. You know, it's so small in comparison. Why even pray? What does prayer matter? Let me, let me show you this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. It got really hard out there. That's what you're about to hear about. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability or capacity to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. And he's delivered us from such a deadly peril, and, and he'll deliver us again. And on him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. You see that? And then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us. Why? In answer to your prayers. That's why. Okay, so prayer is not irrelevant. Our, our slice, our ability to change anything in our own lives or in the world, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty small. But what happens when we pray is we unlock God's power. You might think about it. Write this in your Bible, maybe. Our prayer, God's power. Our prayer, 
God's power. So how do we pray? Let me end with this. Let me give you some practical tips. Uh, let's, let's throw that next slide up on the screen of those four ways to pray. If you, if you want to get out your phone and snap a picture of this, you can. Some of you have been praying longer than I've been alive. You're good. But some of you are just want something to, to freshen up your, your life of prayer. You're wanting to pray more. You realize how important it is. Let me talk to you about these four things real briefly. The first is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' disciples, they, they could have asked Jesus anything. Do you remember what they asked him? Lord, teach us to pray. And so he does. In Matthew 6, you have a prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, the Lord's Prayer. One of my mentors calls the Lord's Prayer his uh, daily pledge of allegiance. He gets up in the morning, he says the Lord's Prayer three times. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. His daily pledge of allegiance. If you're not praying the Lord's Prayer daily, what if that was a goal for 2023? That's modest. What if that became your goal? I want to pray that every day. The second would be praying the Psalms. You heard Miss Beverly talk about praying the Psalms. I think she prays through several Psalms every day. That's a practice that I do, pray one Psalm a day in the morning. So there's 150 Psalms. You can go through the whole Psalter, the whole book of Psalms, twice in a year. If you do one prayer, one psalm a day, you spend a couple more days on Psalm 119 because it's super long. Okay. Uh, that's a practice that goes all the way back beyond the early church to the people of God who, who prayed the psalms. Jesus prayed the psalms. When it was hardest for him on the cross, he prays from Psalm 22. And then we see the early church prayed the psalms regularly. Third, let me talk about freedom prayer. When I sit down with people pastorally who have something going on in their life, I'll often ask them, how's your prayer life? How's it going when you, when you talk with God? So often what they say in response is, that's the thing I really can't do right now. I don't know why. I try to pray and I can't. I just start thinking about this or that. And then I'll just, I'll be honest with you. I haven't been able to talk to God in a while. Okay, red flag. Typically, the reason that we struggle to talk to God is, is something that we're holding on to that we haven't been able to give to him, and that thing is creating a barrier between he and us. So the Freedom Prayer Ministry is a really simple ministry, and you can sign up there. If that's you, if there's something that's coming between you and God, and you want to figure out what that is, and to finally hand that thing over to the Lord, sign up for a Freedom Prayer slot. You'll sit down with three people you can trust, and they'll help you to pray and to bring that thing to the Lord. And you might be amazed by how that unlocks your relationship with the Lord again. And then lastly, prayers for the week. This is a, a practice that Hannah Thrasher, uh, one of our youth ministers, shared with our staff. The way she does it, I really like. But basically, she starts each week on Monday, making a journal of all the things she's praying for. So interceding for other people, biblical, interceding against the powers of evil, biblical, bringing her own anxieties and burdens, things that she's struggling with to the Lord, biblical. She writes those things down. So some of your names have been on her list. And then at the end of the week and in the weeks to come, she asks how those prayers have been answered. And because she has it in a journal, she's able to go back and see that. Okay, four ways you might grow in prayer in 2023. There's a thousand other ways. I'm just giving you four. So take a picture of that if you didn't. I want to encourage you in it. 
I want to finish our time by praying over you, and then I've got a special announcement. We're going to have a baptism here in just a few minutes, so let me kind of explain that. But let's, let's just end by going to the Lord in prayer, and I'll explain that. God, I thank you so much for the sweet grace of talking to the God Most High, the Creator of all things, the Savior of our souls, that we can come and talk to you is an unimaginable gift. Lord, we're so thankful for that gift because our lives are very hard often. and We run into the limit of what we're able to do. We're thankful, God, that for you all things are possible. And so we pray in the confidence of the power that is in your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.